Welcome to Stonebridge. Here are some announcements and things to know. During this time in the life of the church, it's important to continue contributing to the ongoing ministry of Stonebridge. Here are the ways in which you can give. You can give online through our website at stonebridgecme.com. Click on online giving. You can give through your bank's bill pay option, or you can send in your offering through the mail. If you'd like offering envelopes sent to you, please contact the church office. Registration has opened up for Stonebridge Day Camp. Join us June 28th through July 2nd for a week of fun in the mountains of Rocky Railway. Kids will discover that trusting Jesus will pull them through life's ups and downs. You can trust that Stonebridge will be following local and state COVID precautions carefully. Day camp will have a reduced amount of kids, and at this time, masks are required. Sign up by visiting our website. And lastly, we would love to know that you're participating in worship. Please continue to share your news, prayers, and praises by emailing prayers at stonebridgecme.com. Or if you're following along in version, please take the time to fill out the e-connection card. You are an important part of Stonebridge's community of faith. And once again, welcome to worship. Today's scriptures come from Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, and from Psalm 25, verse 3. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. Let us also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. And from Psalm 25, verse 3, no one who hopes in God will ever be put to shame. Let's pray. Loving God, as we turn our attention to your word today, I would pray and ask that this time would be sacred and that this time would be made sacred by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit so that our hearts and minds would be able to receive your word and that our lives would be transformed because of it. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Once upon a time, as part of a large-scale municipal project, there was a town that was scheduled to be flooded. A great lake was going to be created in order to be a source for power in that region. Think the Hoover Dam and Lake Mead. And in the months before it was to be flooded, all the improvements, all the repairs in the town came to a stop. Now, that makes sense, right? Why put a new roof on your house if it's only going to be underwater? What's the point of painting the exterior of your business if it's going to be covered in water in a short time? Why repair anything when the whole town's going to be wiped out? So, week by week, the whole town became less and less livable. Week by week, the town became more of a wasteland. Where there is no hope in the future, there is no power in the present. Today, we're going to be talking about hope. And a great working definition of hope is this. The belief that our future can be better than our past and that we play a role in making it so. At the core of the Christian faith is this. At the core of the Christian faith is hope. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, Paul writes, 
And now these three things remain, faith, love, and hope. But where can we find our hope? Our hope is found, first point of today's message, our hope is found in God. Psalm 71 verse 5 reads, For you, O sovereign Lord, have been my hope, my confidence since my youth. In Hebrews chapter 6 verse 19, it reads, We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. I love this image. We have this hope as an anchor. It's in Hebrews chapter 6 that hope is illustrated as an anchor. And because of this verse, Christians since the first century have symbolized the Christian faith with what's known as the anchor cross. Of course, for water-going vessels, anchors are used to combat wind and to use to combat currents that want to push a vessel off course. I, uh, I didn't, I've never been in the Navy. I've spent very little time on ships and boats. And so I read up on anchors and how they work. I learned uh, something about what's called a stabilizing anchors. It caught my interest. Stabilizing anchors are parachutes, except instead of catching air, they are uh, thrown off the side of ships in the deep ocean. And, and, and like a parachute, it, they, they catch all of the water and they stabilize big ships in open waters when the winds and the currents are too strong for the ship. There's also, of course, your, your standard anchor, uh, an anchor that has teeth and is dropped to the, the ocean floor or the lake bottom, and as it drags along the bottom, it catches, and because it's tethered to a boat, because it's tethered to a ship, it stabilizes the boat. It holds the ship secure. And that's a lot like what our hope in God does for us. Hope in God anchors us. Are you struggling with relational difficulties? Are you struggling with financial hardships? Are you discouraged in your progress towards a life goal? Are you in mourning? Has pandemic isolation or our nation's politics over the past year caused you unusual depression. All of these types of things serve to create as an undercurrent of instability. All of these things can push us off course. Now, let's review. Our working definition today of hope is this, belief that our future is better than our past and that we have a role to play in it. And so like a muscle, we must exercise our hope in God. No longer being tossed back and forth by waves, no longer being blown here and there by wind. And so if you've been despairing, it's time to turn, perhaps for the first time, it's time to return, if you're already a believer, it's time to turn or return to God and place your faith and place your future outlook into his care. We must set our stabilizing anchor in the hope that we have in God. Nothing else will suffice. In fact, when we place our hope in anything other than God, 
that's what the Bible calls idolatry. And, and when we set, place our hope in anything other than God, uh, it's actually short-lived. It can provide us comfort for a time, but ultimately we find ourselves discouraged because they don't hold. They let us down. Uh, the things that we misplace our hope in end up being self-destructive. Like a cancer, we end up destroying ourselves and you know, like COVID, it ends up being contagious and we, we, we destroy others and we hurt others. We can only place our hope in God. And so our hope is found in God. Second point of today's message, our hope is found in God's word. Psalm 119 verse 114 reads, you are my refuge and my shield. I have put my hope in your word. Now, does it annoy you when preachers like me say something like, the Bible says X and therefore Y? What do I mean by this? When preachers say something like this, there's an assumption that everyone agrees that the Bible is a trustworthy source of truth. For those of us who are embedded believers, we must remember that not everyone holds our assumptions about God's Word. Many people are curious about the Christian faith, and others are skeptical of the existence of God and God's revelation made known to humanity through Scripture. So, before we proceed, it's for the seekers and it's for the skeptics that I want to say the following. The Bible is historically reliable. Scholars have long held that Caesar's Gallic War is historically reliable. Caesar's Gallic War was written, uh, the events of Caesar's Gallic War and, and the writing of that history actually happened in 50 BC. But the oldest known copies of Caesar's Gallic War are actually dated at 900 AD. What that means is that between the actual, the actual events and the recording of those events, of the copies that we have of the recording of those events, there's actually a 950 year difference. And the original copies that we have of that, there are only nine of them. Now, I could provide similar evidence for other widely accepted sources of histories. Uh, works by Herodotus or Livy's Roman history, just to name a couple. Now, I, I want to compare this to the Bible's New Testament. In comparison, the Bible's New Testament was written in the last half of the first century, about 50 AD, and the oldest copies date back to 130 AD. Now, instead of being a difference of 190 years between the actual events and the recording of those events, this is a difference of merely 50 to 100 years. And instead of having nine original copies, there are over 5,000 copies in, written in Greek alone. That does not include Latin. What's my point? 
If you can agree with scholars that Caesar's Gallic War is a historically reliable source, then you have to agree that the Bible's New Testament is even more reliable. Having said this, I'm going to move on, having argued that the Bible is a reliable source. And if it is, then we must consider its content. We must consider the content concerning hope that's inspired by God's Word. We risk losing hope by not trusting the content of God's Word. And when we risk losing hope, then we risk losing our anchor, which is holding us steady through the winds, holding us steady through the waves, and holding us steady through the storms of our lives. Throughout God's Word, there are many God-given principles, many God-given promises. Uh, this week in Version, which can be found through the Bible app that you would download on your phone, I've included a, an incomplete list of some of God's God-given promises and principles that are in the Bible. Now today, for the sake of time, I'm only going to offer up two as examples. My first example is this. God promises that He will be our strength. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because of God's word, we can trust that God will never call us into something that He is not fully willing, that He is not fully able to support us in. We as individuals may not have the strength but when we take our focus off of ourselves, and when we focus instead on the source of God's strength, we will see that so much more is indeed possible with God. Here's another biblical example of God's promise. God will never leave us. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6. Now, this was originally written as a promise to the nation of Israel, the Hebrew people, but the principle of this scripture is applicable to all of us. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread. Uh, that phrase has captured me this week. Do not fear or be in dread. Uh, let's inverse that. In other words, have hope. Be strong and courageous, have hope, for it is the Lord your God who, get, who goes with you. God will never leave you nor forsake you. Even during the darkest, most tumultuous times in our lives, we can rest assured that God is with us. Now, I just shared with you two of many of God's promises made to humanity within the Bible. Now, you want to guess how many promises God makes to humanity throughout the Bible? Is it more than 10? Yes. Is it more than 100? Yes. Is it more than 200? Yes. Is it more than 500? Yes. How many promises are there of God's uh, words of hope made to humanity in the Bible? 7,487. God's promises, such as these that I've given and so many more, ought to inspire hope in us. And did you notice that each of those promises was rooted in God's Word? 
Apart from God's word, we are hopeless. And therefore, it's vital for us to remain engaged in God's word. That's why it's so important to be attending worship and engaged in the worship life of Stonebridge or whatever church you may attend. Because it's in worship that we collectively, in community, uh, we, we sing songs and we pray and we prepare our hearts to hear and read God's word. And it's through God's word that hope will be inspired within us. That's why it's so important for us to be a part of a growth group, a small group, a Bible study. Again, to be in community with other like-minded people of faith and not only engage in God's word, but it support one another in life as we focus on the words of hope that we find in Scripture. And lastly, that's why it's so important for each of us to be reading our Bibles as individuals. And I have to admit, as an associate pastor, uh, I confess to you that, that I've fallen away from this. As, as a pastor, it's easy to be studying the Bible throughout the week as a course of just my weekly work. But, you know, every night I, before I go to bed, I, I, I climb into bed and I usually have a book. And whether I read for two minutes or whether I read for an hour, that's the way that I end most of my days. And it occurred to me that if I already have the discipline of reading at the end of my day, why not use that time to sit down and spend 10 minutes of that time reading God's Word? And so I encourage you to do the same. Where do you normally spend time reading and use some of that time, set some of that time apart to read God's, God's Word? Why? Because God's Word gives us the hope that we need for our lives. Okay, so our hope is found, number one, in God. Our hope, number two, is found in God's Word. And lastly, our hope is found in God's grace and God's mercy. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. And God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Because of Phil Mickelson's PGA Championship win this past Sunday, my mind's been on golf. He's the oldest professional golfer to uh, win the PGA Championship, and he did so with a score of one over par. And it got me thinking about golf. A perfect score in golf for 18 holes would be a score of 18. And the best score that's ever been recorded is a score of 58. And so my imagination got away with me. What if our relationship with God, what if our salvation, what if our redemption, what if our eternal life and our abundant life now was all dependent on each and every one of us having to score a perfect score in golf. That would mean a score of 18. That would require that for we play 18 holes and on every hole we get a hole in one. Now, for those of us who don't play golf, uh, we don't know what we don't know. But for those of you who do play golf, you know how difficult this would be. This is why. The odds of an average player getting a hole-in-one is 12,500 to 1 odds. 
nearly impossible just to get one hole-in-one. The odds of an average player getting two holes-in-one in the same round of golf, listen to this, is six million to one. With each progressive hole, it is exponential that you will get a hole-in-one. So with each progressive hole, you, you've been handed a, a, a driver by an angel of God and your eternal life, your salvation, your redemption, all lies on you getting a perfect score in golf. And you've got the tee and you've got the ball and you've got the driver. And your odds of just getting one is nearly impossible. When you move to the second hole, it gets even worse. The odds just keep going up and up and up that you are not going to make that score. Romans chapter 5 verse 8. God shows his love to us in this. While we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. Imagine in that moment that God, out of his love, and, and it's important that we're, we're trying to score a perfect score, and by our own power, we cannot do it. God is pure. God is holy. God is perfect in any way. If he were anything less than those things, he wouldn't be God. So how does God, a perfect God, come into relationship with a broken humanity, a sinful humanity bound to make mistakes? So on that golf course, God sends his son. Not by our power, but it's by God's power. It's by God's mercy and by God's grace that we have hope. He sends his son Jesus, who takes that driver out of our hands, takes the ball, takes the tee, and watch him go. He hits the first ball, and it goes pop right into the hole, hole in one. Now, maybe, you know, it's possible. It's not probable, but it's possible. But then Jesus reaches over and takes our hand, and he walks us to the second hole. He takes the driver. He hits the ball. It goes straight into the hole, another hole in one. It's possible, but it's highly improbable. Pastor John, in the last several weeks, has been talking about the signs uh, of Jesus that, that point that Jesus is the divine Son of God, the seven signs recorded in the Gospel of John. And, and so we go to the third hold. How many times does Jesus have to prove that he is, in fact, the Son of God until we actually recognize that he is the Son of God? The first hole, the second hole, the third hole, the, the, the fifth hole, the, the ninth hole, the tenth hole, hole in one, hole in one, hole in one. At some point, we fall to our knees with tears in our eyes, recognizing that what we could not do for ourselves, God's Son can do for us. Our hope is found in God's grace and God's mercy made known to us through His Son, Jesus. True story. In 1981, a self-made millionaire, Eugene Lang, greatly changed the lives of a sixth grade class in East Harlem. Lang had been asked to speak to a class of sixth graders during their lunch break, and he wondered what he could say to inspire these students, half of whom would be uh, statistically would, would drop out of school before they reached the end of high school. He wondered, you know, how could he even catch their attention? Uh, they were predominantly black and Puerto Rican children, uh, and he uh, was uh, a, an old, rich, Caucasian man. How was he going to even get their attention? He, he scrapped his notes, 
and he decided to speak from the heart. And what he said to them was this, stay in school and I'll help pay for the college tuition for each and every one of you. And at that moment, the lives of those students changed. For the first time, they had hope. It's one thing to know something conceptually. People go to college. It's quite another to know that that something is possible for you and that there's a means, there's a way to get there. Lang provided the means. Lang provided the way to get to college and through college. And the students still had to do the hard work. One student reported, it was a golden feeling. I had something waiting for me. I had something to work towards. Studies have shown that hope mitigates stress, hope mitigates trauma, hope mitigates adversity. Or put another way, hope inspires, hope builds endurance, hope builds resilience. Nearly 90% of that sixth grade class went on to graduate high school. And some of them went on to attend some of the greatest universities in our country. Friends, the seed of hope was the X factor for those students to go the distance. When we find our hope in God, when we find our hope in God's word, when we find our hope in God's grace and mercy, we too can go the distance. We may be knocked down, but we will not be knocked out. Let's pray. Loving God, thank you. Thank you that for those of us who may have been in despair, for those of us who feel that we have been adrift, uh, that we have been pushed off course, Lord, thank you for your word to us today to remind us that your hope, your presence in our lives, and, and, and your hope that's anchored in your word, and your, and your mercy and grace extended to our lives through your Son, Jesus Christ. All of these things anchor us with a sense of hope that, that indeed our present and our future can be better than our past. Lord, we thank you that your Holy Spirit would speak these things to us today. We pray this in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.
Trust. 